0: The material discussed and presented in this podcast is for general information only, and any reliance on such material is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Reference to any information, product, process, service, or organization does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by pros. Views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement by pros of them or any entity they represent. Views expressed by PROS employees are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views, standards, or policies of PROS or any of its directors, officers, employees, or shareholders. Welcome to Interface, a podcast where we connect technology and culture through conversation. Interface is brought to you by Empower at PROS. Empower is dedicated to attracting, developing, and retaining Black talent at PROS. Pros helps people and companies outperform by enabling smarter selling in the digital economy. I'm your host, Jennifer Plummer, and Matthew Negron is with me today. As my
1: that was a good one.
0: <laughs> Our guest today is Thomas Watkins, principal and founder of Three Leaf. Thank you for joining us today, Thomas.
2: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so we go we go way back.
2: Yeah, we go way, 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 way back.
0: <laughs> Old pros um, employee.
2: Yeah, she used to sit around the corner from me along with the uh, sat with the developers. Back then, we didn't have a UX area. Yeah. So you're just kind of embedded with the development team. And I would answer UX questions.
0: And that was when I realized I was like, wait, they don't trust me to write a sentence about like <laughs> when you have like labels and I was like, They'll trust me with that decision. I gotta yes, ask somebody you, else.
2: Because you, you know, you know, you were there before the shift, the big shift. Yeah. Before everything changed to where you had to have UX design yeah. things. You were there before that, and yeah, so you saw I the like, shift. Yeah, of, I'll put
0: a label. I don't. Before, I don't Yeah, but before you button, were trusted to make a label or,
2: or an error message. But uh, after that, no. It's Like
0: no, Thomas. You mark is the the end is gonna take that off your hands. Let yeah, do that.
2: <laughs> like like I think you guys should have a timeline on the wall, painted on the wall, like a mural at Pros, to talk about like the different eras and stuff like that, and that would be
1: kind of yeah. an era. Honestly, we'll we'll I'd really enjoy that.
0: We'll put the Yammer era on awesome. there, Matthew, because you know, <laughs> Yammer went away and now it's coming back, and oh, I'm digging Yammer's it. Oh, Yammer's
2: coming back. Yeah.
0: And I'm like, back in my day, <laughs> I didn't like Yammer. We're back and we're forth, and so the, I know Matthew's like, here she goes again. She's talking about Yammer again, but it would well, it would be on, part of that timeline. It would be part what of that. Were timeline.
2: You using between Yammer. Were you using Teams. Slack, and you're going Teams? Oh my goodness, Teams is bad. We
0: and we did have a um, what was what was the precursor to Teams, Microsoft. Uh, Skype, yeah. So we were kind of using Skype and right. Yammer for, you know, obviously different things, but then Teams was supposed to be the one tool for both of those things. Right. But, but now we also have Zoom. Then we got Zoom. And yeah, right. now the pendulum's swinging back to Yammer. So What? <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs>
0: we're here to talk about you! So our first oh. question is always what do you do? How did you get into doing it as a little boy? Were you drawing little mock-ups of little user interfaces? You know how? Actually how did... I actually
2: did. <laughs> I, I did. So my my first uh, my first usability study. My mom tells me this. I went to um it was a children's museum, and you were supposed to draw what you the, the one of the assignments for the kids. You had to draw what you saw at the children's museum, and so I I don't know how old I was, but I drew like the, the underside of the table, like, like, like the, the, there was a table where there was a thing for the kids to see and like, I couldn't quite see it. So I drew like the side of it. And from that, the museum no- noticed like, oh my goodness, this isn't, this is too tall for the kids. So we need to change this. So that was the first time I, I drew something. And that's that... when you were like,
0: I found my <laughs> calling. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, no, so I, I went to um, undergrad for psychology Hampton University psychology. And I actually lucked up because when I was applying to graduate schools, I was interested in cognitive psychology and that's where I kind of wanted my future to be, to be like a researcher in the cognitive psychology space. But I got accepted into the school that taught, now this is the early 2000s, so this is 2002. And so it was George Mason's human factors program so for those who don't know, the original name for UX was Human factors. So I got training in that program early on. But then I went to more school after that, and that I didn't have that as a career uh, goal until when I finally got out of school and I was like, okay, time to get a job. And I went to pros, and so that was the beginning of me working in software. But So before that, I was working with like interfaces with you know machines and things like that doing it's you know studies and research on that's that kind of stuff but the beginning of software was that so as a design psychologist that's what i am <laughs> that began a long time ago and i was fortunate enough to get onto ux before ux was like a huge thing
0: and then after you left pros
2: did a bunch of consulting so i worked for staff at you know some of the big oil companies worked for some of the consulting agent agencies then i started working with startups around 2014 and so i kind of fell in love with the idea of working with a startup because you have a lot more strategic influence over what the product is and so after i kind of worked for a few more years in the kind of nine to five world here and there at a went ahead and started uh, a consulting agency that provides UX. And so I've got my, you know, team members of about 10 folks or so. And we work on like a handful of projects that early stage tech, a handful of clients that we help them go to market with good UX.
0: Which is so important. I'm, 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 it's just kind of the, the project I'm working on now is mostly like a, like a backend thing. Like there's, there was no UI and it was, it's just really hard to explain to some people. And then we finally got a UI and um, I think our product manager was like, it finally has a face. Like (laughs) it was Mm -hmm. like this amorphous thing and it's got a face that people can relate to. It kind of just makes it more tangible. So could you maybe take a step back and explain what is, what, is ux Mm -hmm. and kind of what is the day in the life or how does you know what are the stages of a project that you would work on
2: yeah so ux is essentially you're designing the interaction between the human and the machine and so we think about that normally in terms of screens but it's really anything it's any interface so um when people one of the terms that drives me nuts is ui nowadays being synonymous with visual design right and so mm-hmm. ui just means user interface that's just that's just the that's the point at which the human interacts with the machine so if you're talking about you know amazon echo what is the ui
0: that's a question um i guess the the button is there a, i don't have an alexa so <laughs> sorry for me. Well, on,
2: on, on any voice command thing what's what's the user interface
0: oh okay i guess the, the right? microphone yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah. It's, it's the microphone and the speakers so it goes way beyond just screens it's just it's how does the human interact with this so but we we mostly work with screens right so with ux you're concerned with making a product as easy as possible and once you achieve that maybe making it enjoyable like, back in the day, the only bar was, like, make it usable. So it used to be called usability. But then mm-hmm. when the bar got raised, it's like, okay, well, we want to actually make people happy too or, or delight people. Yeah. So um, so essentially what you're doing is it's, like, the way I describe it to people is it's, like, ergonomics, but a, be- a mental behavioral version of ergonomics. So just, like, you can have an ergonomic chair that's designed for the human body, right? When you sit in an ergonomic scissors has the little grip uh, mm-hmm. part of it ergonomic mouse is made for your hand. What we're doing is it's basically ergonomics applied to computer interfaces. So you take what we know about how do people attend to things? How do they remember things? How do they solve problems? um, How do they react to things? And you engineer that into the product. And so when you have a UX team, they're typically plugging into the product team, the product managers and the product managers supply the requirements, and the UX team iterates to arrive at solutions for, okay, how is this gonna show up for the user? So then you start to see things like personas, you see scenarios, and you say, the whole question is, who are we designing this for, and what does the ideal flow look like? And then once you're able to do that, you're now able to hand this off to the developers, and the developers get to focus on what uh, the engineering aspect of it instead of figuring out everything, right? So back in the day, it's the developers had to figure out absolutely everything. So you get, they would get handed requirements, right? And it's like, okay, we, this product needs to be able to adjust prices on contracts that are already made <laughs> use a use case. That's probably uh, <laughs> a, pro, a pro type uh, of interface, um, use case. And so, instead of having that or with product managers putting together crude uh, powerpoints right where you have a, a screenshot of the screen and they're you know you know they're using crude methodologies and tools to get it done um, what you have nowadays is a profession that's dedicated to just figuring out the gap between the requirements and how does this come together for the developers so the developers can focus on, uh, they, they can focus their brilliance on how to engineer this and how to get this feature into
0: existence. And, and that is where the conversation goes. Cause I know back when I was trusted to do the labels and the buttons myself, it was just kind of like, well, this is, this is going to get you there. This, You know, you need to add a row here. This does functionally what it, someone's it asking for. Yeah. But yeah, you d- guys are definitely going deeper, asking kind of, you know, more, more questions about, well, how did we get here? What, you know, what's That's the right. thought process of the person here and where do we need to go? And even taking time to kind of with that prototyping, go kind of feel put feelers out and all that stuff takes so much time right. where we're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to show us the button <laughs> so we can hook That's it right. up.
2: Right. <laughs> put some behavior. And, and, with
0: it. and so part of
2: the evolution was actually us as UXers encroaching on the territory of other professions. So it was encro- encroaching a little bit on the, uh, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a way that folks didn't understand at the time. So a little bit of the pro- what the product managers used to do, explaining things to developers, a little bit of what the developers used to do, just kind of figuring stuff out, um, how it's gonna come together, a little bit of what the architects even do. I remember you know, when you first work with architects and they're not used to working with a UX person, they're like, who is this person who's <laughs> often not technical not you know terribly but, technical. Certainly not as technical compared as they to are. an
0: architect. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So so they're like, how? Why is this person telling us what to do? Like we're, <laughs> we're to, no. You know, especially when I started my career, I, I was I was um, significantly less technical than than folks in my in, in my surroundings. So um, I think there was a little bit in the beginning, but then once people get used to it, they're like, oh. This is actually kind oh, of. Oh, cool. that's always
0: my first question. Where's the prototype? Like, yeah, you've, you're, re- you're, you're, you've no. written a lot. We've talked about a lot of requirements, but I, I like I really want to see the prototype before we really start digging through it. Like, I'm I I definitely appreciate uh, yeah. the UX people that I work with because it definitely it 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 pushes us ahead. So so many well, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? Once you have that prototype it's definitely right. taking concepts that were that people have been maybe not easy to write down as requirements and you can see it you're like okay now i get it or that's not really how i imagine this and then then the conversation really kind of has a better meaning because from where you're starting then just kind that's of- right
2: and, and and for the listeners who don't know Jennifer used to actually literally ask me for prototypes. She'd come over to my desk and be like, Thomas, do we have the prototype for such and such? I'm like, ah, oh, not yet. When do we need it? So, well, Jason says that we've got to build it in the next sprint, and the sprint starts tomorrow. I'm like, oh, man, let me, let me, <laughs> let me get on this.
1: <laughs> I typically see UI and UX like plugged together. Are they synonymous? Hmm. Yeah, do you want me to speak on that? The yeah, UI yes. UX thing? Sorry.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, don't get me started on it. But, no, uh, this get is, started. This is, get started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, okay. this is one of my favorite yeah. topics. So the UI UX term is a term that I've grown to accept, but I don't like it. And and because I don't like it because I think, so number one, as I was talking about before, it's, 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 in my opinion, wrong, because user interface doesn't mean visual design. And, and that's, that's what it means in the context of UI UX. Everything has a, your lawnmower has a user interface. It's the handles at the top, it's the the pull cord, right? And and that has to be designed. You have to make it so that it's, things are at the right height and things can be, these are all user interfaces. So, uh, but not to be stuck on that, the rise of them being used together, I think was twofold. One was from the hiring side and one was from the practitioner side. On the practitioner side, you have some folks who are let's just put it this way, they noticed the pay difference between UI and UX and UI sounds like UX. Um, and so it, it it you can kind of mosey your way in if you you know kind of <laughs> and so 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 there's that side and you you can't fault people, you know, people. You know people we all want to work and anyone can start from anywhere right so you can this great ux people with any type of background it's not mm-hmm. one background but i think that plays a role with it and and i think that on the hiring side there's folks who you ever see one of those job descriptions where it has like everything in the kitchen sink inside the job description? they say we want someone who Is awesome at front-end development and back-end development and and UX and Mm -hmm. is really good Mm -hmm. at interfacing with customers Mm -hmm. right and they're just kind of like asking for this laundry list of all these things that they want rather than like making kind of a realistic targeting for like a job role so there's a lot of that it's like I want someone who's like is super awesome at making things look really really beautiful But then at the same time, like this really awesome information architect and a really deep knowledge of usability research. Well, those people exist, but that's pretty rare. They call it a unicorn for a reason. But, you know, we have the term now. So what UI means, UI refers to visual design. The popular term, I think, probably a longer time ago was graphic designer. Then visual designer became Mm -hmm. more common. And then UI designer. So UI designers They typically have training in the arts. And so the expertise there, it's a whole area of expertise. Whenever I do a project, I always make sure to have a UI designer or a visual designer on the project um, because they're really, really critical to making everything come together. Their expertise is in color, layout, and typography. So you're taking the traditional methods of art and you're providing them, you're uh, assigning them to interfaces. And then UX is kind of more to the core of problem solving. how is this feature and functionality going to become a flow? So a lot of times the output of that might be really just wireframes or you know low fidelity mockups. And if it's the same person doing the visual design, then then often it might be a different phase, uh, depending on how people work. Some people do it all you know all together, visual design and information architecture in the same swoop, I'm against that. But yeah, so UX is kind of more the 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 deep, deep consideration, of the problem-solving in the research. In my opinion also, it's not really UX if you're not basing it on some kind of research, either research that's been published or it's out there and or research that you're directly doing in and around the product.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. So you kind of touched on the different aspects of your project, like you said, you always want a visual designer on your project. So maybe go, can you go more over kind of how you work with a company? Um, when the project starts, you, you're working with product managers, I assume, and then how that evolves into in, what you um, when, when do you when do you say you're done with a project, right?
2: Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I honestly think it's never done because you can you can always come up with more features and even if you're not even if you're not coming up with more features, the more the need to continually develop will be forced upon you because the devices you need to stay compatible with devices and things like that. So even if you have zero ambition, you still need to be able to be compatible. Um, yeah, I think the way uh, the way I, I like to work with clients is directly with the product managers a smaller operation, that'll be like a product executive. It might be like the CEO or somebody who's kind of wearing a lot of hats at a larger organization is usually a product manager. And so the core is a very iterative process. to where it's a, a tight loop between requirements and reviewing potential ideas, it's, you know, it's one of those things where in the beginning you want to do research. So I like to work with parallel tracks where you have multiple people working out multiple things. So a visual designer immediately starting on getting the color layout topography all set and, and, and starting to develop that, adapt the company's brand to you know a set of guidelines that's going to be given to the developers. And throughout the process, working with the product manager to to kind of say, like, okay, what kind of solutions do we think makes sense. What seems to come together. Um, but really starting with research and the research is the who and the, what, what is the persona and what are the primary tasks that they're going to be doing? So you end up with a small cast of personas. You pick one for any given epic or feature to be like the star persona that you absolutely have to solve this problem for. And you have a set of tasks that this persona is going to be doing. This all comes from research. So in the beginning, you talk to SMEs and you say like, okay, what's the problem? space? all that kind of stuff. Go and interview folks down with people who are in that, in the population of folks who are represented by that persona, figure out what makes them tick, right? Ask them questions in, in such a way that you get insights into their motivations, their goals their real goals right so not, not goals as is printed out on their job description
0: but what <laughs> are
2: they what really makes them tick so, right. right so like if, like for example if you look at a ux person's goals on the job description it'll be like you know make beautiful interfaces mm-hmm. that people enjoy but let's say you're designing a tool for ux people and you really want to solve their goals you you really want to make it a product that they love and you might talk to them and find out that their main goal is unblocking the developers because you don't want the embarrassment of being at the sprint demo the review and you <laughs> don't have the necessary designs for them to start the sprint you don't mm-hmm. want the, the the team to have to start the sprint and the designs aren't ready yet that's an actual day-to-day motivation and you might not get that if you don't you don't know, go out and talk actually to talk to the users and get yeah. them to express what really matters to them then when you're building a product you're able to build a product that people love because you're able to hit on the things that they actually care about <clears throat> so this mapping out the user then there's mapping out what the user does so every user has different tasks that they need to do throughout the day and some aren't even totally taken care of by the technology but the te- technology might play some role over the course of that task
0: mm-hmm. and what
2: you do is you try to write out scenarios Okay, what is the ideal flow? What's ideal for you know thinking technology constraints aside? And this is why you mm-hmm. also want people who are outside of the direct technology team, because it gets rid of part of the bias of wanting to max maximize the efficiency. If you just have a totally person, different person doing it, and
0: mm-hmm. they're not
2: thinking about that until they're talking to the developers and iterating through uh, with the developers, mm-hmm. yeah, about what's technically possible? Then those things come to like, and then then. The developers say, like, ah, well, that's going to be a little bit tricky, and we have to build a new microservice for that because we don't have that today. But you were able to at least get to the concept and talk about what you want, where yeah. you probably wouldn't end up with that. Even within UX, you still have to separate uh, different. Is
0: product management involved in this process as well, or is Very this much. okay? Okay.
2: Very much. So they're not doing it, but they are they are a constant checkpoint. They're the feedback loop to let you know that this, from the product manager, what you need to know is, you need to know, is this addressing the market need? We we rely on the product manager to be a market expert. Mm-hmm. They are supposed to be knowledgeable enough about what the product ought to be in order for it to be successful in the marketplace. So on the UX side, you might have some strategic opinions and say like, ah, does the product really need to do X? You you might challenge that a little bit, just like a developer might challenge UX designs, but at the end of the day, we rely on the product owner being the best knower of that and iterate
1: through to the solutions with them. So when I'm designing things, sometimes I'll like design something. I'm like, oh, this is great. And then I'll show it to someone and be like, this makes absolutely no sense. So it sounds like you will have a lot more people on the team that will like go through those scenarios. So how does that explain for like companies like Spotify, for example, when like they are like, here's a new update and it just completely changes the interface and everyone's just super mad about that. How do you get to that point? Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of multifold.
2: So when you have a, a large company like you know Spotify or Amazon and they're able to do A-B testing, so they're hopefully doing some testing that is at a previous phase that they're working out some of the kinks But then it eventually, yeah, they're gonna roll it out and it's gonna be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of users, maybe even millions. And so there's a lot of risk with that. So the stakes are pretty high for them to kind of get it right. A lot of times the ones that care about UX, I don't wanna say they'll they definitely don't always get it right. That's that's for sure. But a lot of effort goes into it for them. So like take and and then and then there's the other aspect from a market perspective, some of these companies like Apple, it's a part of their brand is that they kind of force people into, into a way of using things. So it's, it's kind of almost authoritarian, almost. My my way the highway. Way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My way of the highway So it's like, you know, so that's why everyone gets mad at the Apple releases where they're like, guess what? We got rid of this, um, <laughs> this, this, this plugin yeah. or this, this way. Yeah. So
0: uh, I always use those as examples to bring down because product management and UX are like, oh, we could do this, we could do this. Just... I'm like, no. When that when iTunes first came <laughs> out, you could play and you could pause. And that that was it. And we were happy. <laughs> we're going to start off right. that level.
2: <laughs> That's right. That's right.
0: For someone that was interested in becoming a UX designer, a visual designer, someone that researches, you know, What, what would your recommendation be?
2: Yeah. So for folks who are interested in anything, I recommend falling in love with the trade and the craft because I sincerely think that life will be a lot better for anyone who enjoys what they do. And you know, if you find some aspect of it that you really, really like, because UX, UX is such a big area and design is such a big area. There's like sub specializations find something, I would say, get good at something. I, I, I kind of tend to recommend go deep before you go wide. So you want to make sure that you can join a team and add value, right? And, and so however you choose to get that training, there's different ways to do that. There's a lot of boot camps nowadays. Some are better than others. You could go to graduate school for design. The graduate schools often tend to be less immediately relevant because they don't have their finger on the pulse of just year by year what's changing and how are things developing. But the upside to like a graduate school program is that you get kind of a deeper study of a lot of different areas that sometimes help you transfer well from one area to another the benefit of the boot camps is just much more accessible. They're like kind of expensive, but not like impossibly expensive.
0: More or less expensive than grad school.
2: Yeah, definitely <laughs> less expensive than grad school, right? <laughs> definitely less expensive than that. And then there's, I guess you could study on your own, but um, I think probably the best thing is to get on a project. And kind of the same thing with software development, right? It's, it's start doing the work as soon as possible, whether that's an internship, and you'll start learning about what you like, what you don't like. And um, I think dedicate yourself to to studying the area and trying to get good at it.
1: To follow up on that, uh, you mentioned research. How are you staying up to date on research and trends and UX? Conferences, uh, a
2: lot. There's, there's a lot of good sites nowadays. You know, Nielsen Norman Group, NNG, is pretty good about publishing a lot of kind of synopsis uh, summaries of like commonly asked UX questions. So that's kind of out there a lot, but if you really want the good stuff, get to a good conference. I would say like um, UXPA is one of my favorites, but there's a, there's a bunch of them out there. And um, I particularly like the conferences that are a good mix between academic and applied industry stuff. Because you get the relevance from the industry, and you get some of the rigor from the academics. Um, right. So, and you have people, teams there who do full-blown research projects that are super interesting. You don't, you don't hear the stuff anywhere else. Like, for example, what was the year where where wearables or watches, smart watches, started becoming really popular? Was that around twenty fifteen or so? Or yeah, uh... I
0: think so
2: some somewhere somewhere all the high schoolers had it when i was teaching okay (laughs) yeah so and and like so that year there were a bunch of there were a few really good ux research teams that did some awesome research on where nobody knew about it like no one knew like how do you build a good app for apple watch like no one knew and they i remember going to this one talk where they had like these six points of how to have good usability and they, uh, with an Apple Watch, and they, they right when it came out, had done a whole bunch of research on it, and it was just really good. It was like, wow, this is, this is hot off the press research. I remember going to talks where someone's giving, years ago, a talk just about hamburger menus, and that's it, the whole talk for an hour about hamburger menus and their research about hamburger menus and when and where they tended to cause confusion versus when they seem to be, like, okay and allowable so i would recommend for a lot of young professionals try to immerse yourself into that kind of stuff and then over time you start gaining a lot of expertise because you're just exposed to a lot of not opinions but what did studies show and then you have to stay up on it because things change right so people some new technology might come out five years ago and nobody's used to it and it's weird to everybody but then a few years later everyone gets used to it and then it becomes so normal that you can now consider it fairly easy when, you know, when it first came out.
0: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
2: there's a lot of little things like that.
0: Yeah. I never would have considered that. So
2: yeah. Cause user expectations change. It's a, it's a constantly
1: shifting um, set of expectations. I've heard that like if you, if the red X to exit is on the right side and you decide to put it on the left side, Everyone's expectations. It's a it's a red axe on the right side, but if you change the color or change the position, it just throws everything off.
2: That's right. That's yeah, that that's a good point. Some in some cases, violating the expectations is like serious. It it has a big con where people don't know what's going on. I try usually recommend as a rule of thumb, only kind of change things and innovate when you have to. A lot of times, you know, it's it's this is not, you know. It's not supposed to be your opportunity to be creative with, you know, express yourself with the software. You're supposed to stick with the basic stuff because there's, there's so many opportunities to innovate because there's so many problems to solve. So you're going to have to like bend some rules, occasionally break some rules, but kind of, yeah, it's in, in, so there's the kind of macro, what do users expect in general, just as humans who use technology. And then there's the micro, what does this job role or population of users specifically ex- expect because of this you know, job role? And that's when you do the specific usability research. So there's keeping your finger on the pulse of like the research findings in general in UX, and then there's the specific problem that
1: you always have a need for actual UX researchers. And this is covering design psychology, what you're saying, right? That's correct, that's correct. It um, is design psychology, I would say.
0: And in that research, do you have to consider diversity or inclusion as far depending on what you're designing?
2: Yeah. So some some problems that you're that you're trying to solve with your interface are more susceptible to considerations there
0: mm-hmm. than
2: others, right? So I don't come across it a ton in a lot of my work, honestly, I think it's, you know, well, well, one super obvious place is A11Y, right? Accessibility. So that is kind of, I think that falls under the umbrella of of, of the really, really general um, umbrella. Yeah. Yeah, that you don't want to be ableist with your designs. You want to make sure, because a, a wise person once told me, we are all just temporarily able. (laughs) <laughs> and so you have to
0: That is so true
2: <laughs> Yeah, right, it's true, it's kind of a scary thing. it's kind of an uncomfortable thought
0: Especially the older I get and the worse my eye, the yeah. eyesight
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah, stuff like that you're like, wait a second, that was never a problem before
0: <laughs> It's um, like the time is ticking till I'm just blind and deaf
2: <laughs> so you're just sitting like, in you a know, wheelchair trying to find your way around the
0: house
2: yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's yeah, staying on top of kind of like you know, in, in, even A11y is deep too, because you could be temporarily disabled. So like, um, I think Microsoft has this really good, um, infographic or something. I saw it somewhere, but when it comes to like seeing impairment, it could either be that you have a disability that's always with you, or it could be temporary, or or it could be like completely situational, like light, the light shined in your eyes because you know the, the sun shining in your eyes yeah. or you are on the beach yeah. yeah yeah and then, and
0: then,
2: and then it ranges all the way from that to the individual has a disability so yeah, yeah you know part of, so user experience is not possible without those kind of considerations the good news is is that this stuff is very the technology has caught up a lot with a lot of the concerns so um i uh, went to see a panel one time with a group of people who research Dis, uh, disabled individuals, and then uh, also on the same panel, panel disabled individuals uh, with, a, with different kinds of disabilities talking about their experiences. And one of the things that they noted was that modern smartphones are actually terrific with regard to accessibility. Uh, so that's that's good news that, that a lot of that has, uh, has caught up. A lot of the concerns uh, that technology has caught up with a lot of the concerns.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, what as far as um, providing environments for inclusivity from a work environment or for a representation in, in the workforce, is there any opinions you have on what companies can do to increase black talent companies or um, things that you're familiar with?
2: Yeah. So, so on the topic of what makes the environment more inclusive. That's an important topic, although I don't have super strong opinions about that side of it. But in terms of the recruiting and finding talent, I do have an opinion about that. I think that there's an acronym, HBCUs. <laughs> there are historically black colleges. I, I think that recruiters maybe are not aware enough that that's the case. And I, I think that I would recommend companies doing is print up a sheet, create a table of Historically Black College, HBC, Historically Black College, HBU, Historically Black, Black University. So the, the combined one is HBCU for the listeners who may not have heard that. And yeah, I think contact the computer science departments at some of these places that already have those target populations and um, go to their career fairs and see what you can find.
0: Yeah, I, I'm sure they would. The, those students would appreciate the attention as well.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then on the flip side, for for communities who are trying to kind of have more of a presence in different industries, I think one of the big challenges is a general lack of awareness, period, in what professions even exist. And um, just across the board, any segment of, of the population, there are professions that are more known than others right and so people tend to get into the professions that they know about so they might say like well my parents were lawyers or they're public servants or they're x y and z so that's what i'm going to do or, or this is what my cousin does and this is what so you do stuff so it's kind of like one of those things where you kind of you need the pro the positive feedback loop of more folks get into it and then more folks then know about it right and then i think it's also important for like professionals to like who are there to kind of reach out and you know maybe join um i I, I went to I don't know if you ever heard of afrotech
0: yeah I heard about it I, I haven't been had a chance to yeah join. i had
2: I, I kept missing it year by year but this year uh, they had like a um city by city they had a happy hour on one of the days and so oh. yeah took took a trip out to Austin those one in Austin that was the uh-huh. closest one to us. And so, yeah, it was, it was really neat. You see a lot of professionals, black professionals trying to get uh, into technology and, and huge variety of different backgrounds. Some people were, I would say a lot of people were not previously from a technical background, but they were maybe in a job role that overlapped with it. And they're mm-hmm. like, hey, maybe I want to get more into this. And, but then there were a few people who were like bonafide software developers mm-hmm. who you know were talented. And I'm like, and I was thinking when I was meeting some of these folks, I'm like, man, how would, some companies find this individual i'm not sure (laughs) how they would find them right like i I don't and that's that's why we always
0: ask the question how did you get from where you started to hear because everyone's story is unique and it's just totally unique it's it's good to hear those kind of stories to know i don't need a cookie cutter you know
2: Mm -hmm. honor
0: student high school i go to a four-year college i get a master's and then I'm happy and I'm in a job for the rest of my life. It's it's meanders a little more than that sometimes.
2: Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's, I think so. That's a tricky one to solve and, you know, especially cause they, the, the individuals I'm, I'm talking about, didn't go to HBCU. So they wouldn't even be, even the solution that I presented that wouldn't get this person hired at, you know, a company who's trying to follow that framework. So that, that is a tricky one. I think that a lot of it is professionals who are already there kind of being involved and kind of, sh- I think even as far as, you know, go to middle schools, high schools, career days and things like that and say like, hey, this is what I do for a living. There's there's actually, you know, a job type where this is a thing. Because a lot of people, they just don't know it's a thing. That, yeah. Uh, right. It doesn't cross their yeah. mind.
0: And, and- this day and age, it boggles my mind too. I think we were we were talking about this early in a previous episode that I don't think this is standard curriculum in any school. And with this, you know, who isn't touching for someone who's not touching some sort of application every single day, they're, you know, they're I don't want to say weirdo, but you know, they're someone who lives mm-hmm. on the fringe. They're not mm-hmm. um, you know, a, 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 your your typical citizen. And so that the fact that children aren't kind of taught about how we know we, we know about mechanics you know who, who repair our cars or build cars and these sorts of things we know about doctors and lawyers but we, we, we the fact that we don't know how an application gets built is it, kind of weird to me in this day and age because there's just so much of it going on
2: if people take it for granted right it's just the application is there it's there you can have fun with it download it and yeah it's that's that's a tricky one too you see some of these programs where you try to get children into like software program and there's like little i've played with a bunch of them i'm not convinced that they get teach children about actual coding they all claim to but,
0: but i did a cute one about machine learning where you were like this is a fish this is not a fish this is a fish okay. and they were the cutest little fish and i was like oh. i have
2: to look that up
1: <laughs> have you have you seen grasshopper that's a good app for i, to learn I, I, coding. See, I don't think i it it's kind of a like bell. duolingo in that in the way that it works oh really yeah is i think stuff cool. like that is like the key to Education, but that's a whole spiel that I could go down. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, just like you can learn so much. I'll have to look that up. Is is that for adults or kids? It's for anybody. It's it's definitely just like learn basic Java. So
0: ah, one happened. ultra
2: basic one. Have you ever played that Lightbot game? It where you're this little robot and you're hopping on these squares and you have to turn on lights. It is it, basically a similar Aww. concept. You have to give it commands so that you're uh-huh. not controlling it directly. Cause that's, that's kind of the basis of software engineering, right? That you have to mm-hmm. give commands to the machine to get it, to do what you want. You have to like figure out how to talk to it, to get what you want.
0: No, I haven't seen that. There's, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. So the the people you talk to who didn't have like a software background, What had drawn them to Afrotech? Um,
2: Did you you talk about that? Out of the the people that I had talked to, they learned through their career that technology was a good place to be. And so a lot of people were trying to kind of make a career jump. And there was a big range in how prepared people were to make that jump. Right. So if Mm -hmm. you are a person who maybe came, let's say, out of HR or something like that, like a very, very regular job,
0: mm-hmm. you could do
2: it, anyone can do it, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be a little bit of a climb to get there, you know? So on down to people who actually went to school and majored in computer science and they're, they're like way closer and even already employed and already uh, working places.
0: But maybe that is part of the bias too, because what did I, you know, what did I learn? I have a computer science minor. I, I did happen to learn Java, I think we were on the fringe that year, I, I graduated undergrad in 98. So I was probably mm-hmm. taking intro to mm-hmm. see in 95, I guess. I don't remember. But you know, mm-hmm. I think I did get a good foundation on like, you know, objects or, or mm-hmm. object oriented programming or, you know, algorithms. But those are things that are kind of implicitly learned on the job as well, I feel like, right. I have a four year degree. I'm very thankful I have it. I think I've gotten places with it, but I don't think it was absolutely necessary for the career that I've had today.
2: Yeah, so I do have a strong opinion on that. So <laughs> I'm a huge fan of education. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I think that sometimes we underestimate the role that our education played in our ability to solve problems, right? So you could think about back on some undergrad. I mean, so, so let me a lot of what's undergrad is not terribly relevant so that's definitely true and there's yeah. definitely a lot of examples where you could like definitely tell that people don't necessarily need to go to college for every job or or you know a boot camp could could fill in some of those gaps but mm-hmm. when you think about some of the conversations that you have when you're solving architecture problems technology problems a lot of this stuff is like knowledge of phenomenon, knowledge of logical structures. And if, and if you listen to yourself in the conversation, there's a surprising amount probably of educated thinking that's yeah. going into it. Yeah.
0: And I, and I and yeah, let me preface that. I'm not saying okay. I shouldn't have learned the things that I learned. I'm saying someone can learn those things outside of, of school. Like if someone says, okay, they, you they, can't they, afford they can, they, to go to a four-year school. Okay. Well you need to study this and you needed to study this. And pr- and have a practical application of these concepts. Yes. So so that
2: that is that is that's a really good point. There is some. And the reason I go down that line is there is something we have to watch out for. There's this rise of this trend. Um, I think Google has it. I might be mistaken, but but some of the big companies, they're creating this kind of like special training program, of like oh, and they're it's they're talking about oh, don't go to college and waste money on college, and they, I think they pay you. I'll, I'll have to look it up and see the details, but I think they actually either pay students or they make it super attractive to just skip college to learn through their program, and then to you get a job working for them when you finish the program. Mm-hmm. The, the problem with that is if you're not educated, you're, you, you don't have the wings, if you will, to fly to certain heights because you're Uh you're not going to be um and then so if you are a employer who kind of is just mainly concerned with people doing the work and nothing else and you're you might have a bias too much in favor of just the pragmatism of, okay, teach them how to do this job and then they'll be able to do
0: it. Right. Right. They can bust out some user interfaces. You know, we've, we've got to get these done and and we're, and we're teaching you the skills just to do that, but not to understand the overall architecture of what we're building or the concepts right. that, that the libraries that you're using are actually built upon. Yeah. That's right. You should, you should have the full knowledge of that stuff. Yeah. I, I haven't seen those programs, so I would need to research a little more. I can see why someone would pick that option. what I totally. would 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 uh, what would be nice is and and you know my master's program was paid by two employers that I had coming out of college. so I got my undergrad mm-hmm. and then I started working, um and then I started my master's. and so that was reimbursed by the companies that I, I work for. and I think that's a great program. and i think I think that would apply for undergrad too, if someone was just like i know i'm not at that level i need to start working i need to start earning income but while i'm doing that instead of working you know you know in retail or or fast food you know you, you have a practical job where you maybe you are just doing something very basic but in a technical role but while you're there they're supplementing your your higher education so that you can you know take it to the next level
2: yeah, so if they're offering that, that's awesome, right? Like like so if it, if it's more like what you just described, that is awesome because it's it's yes, it's totally different from having like a rando job like at Target or something like that. Like mm-hmm. um if you if you're actually building your career and building skills that are gonna be relevant to the kinds of career moves that you want to make in the future, then that's definitely very positive.
0: And you're you're familiar, you mentioned boot camps earlier um from, from the perspective of UX so we have this google program that you're talking about we've got you know four-year degree and boot camps are somewhere in the middle i'm assuming what so what's your opinion on that
2: um man that's so tricky I, i think it partly depends on what you want to be good at so if you let's say you're a visual designer segueing into into the ui ux world or if you're an artist like a lot of people come from like print design and then they get into designing interfaces i think if you're educated because they you need an education if the best visual designers are educated in visual design right they 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 know things that are like surprisingly relevant when you're making uh decisions design decisions like like art history sounds like it's really irrelevant right Mm -hmm. but if you're choosing a typography for that needs to resonate with a certain audience if you have knowledge of well the reason why this particular typeface looks technical is because this is the typeface that was used in germany during the time when there was a lot of engineers doing civil engineering and all the civil engineering books were were written with this typography and then so society began to associate that with engineering and then it, right, right, like, like, like that, that kind of rich knowledge that's not easy to just like Google and answer for, that really comes to play. So, but long story short, I think some job skills are more helped by deep education. So research, for example, I want my researchers to be pretty educated because the question of how do you research something? If you have years of saying, hmm, here's a research question and I need to design a study know that can answer the research question yeah that's not something that you're gonna i don't know how to do, do that
0: yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what, yeah
2: it's it took me years in to, uh, toiling in graduate school basements uh designing experiments that are loaded on computers and i take the data off the computer on a floppy disk and and uh and load it into the statistical program and i through doing that kind of stuff I gained a deep familiarity, for example, just to use myself example for data, the nature of data, the nature of variables and stuff like that. So then later when I started doing data visualization and dash- dashboards, it was really easy to, for me to pick it up because I had spent so many much time obsessing over the nature and structure of data and what it means, what's a nominal variable, an ordinal variable, an interval variable, all that kind of stuff. And so researcher, I think there's an, a special need to have a deep background. One of the interesting things when we talk about UX is that there's a number of different, let's say, scholastic traditions that feed into UX. So a lot of the research methods come from anthropology, especially the field research, right? So researchers for generations figuring out how do you go among a group of people and study them? That that comes from anthropology. The, The kind of lab methods that comes out of cognitive psychology, experimental psychology, and then so like a lot of times folks in the social sciences, they get trained on that. Then you've got the art tradition, right? So folks who know about all these principles about visual design, color layout and typography, then that segues into it. And then people who have a computer science background, they have much a much better knowledge often of the actual medium that you're working with. So mm-hmm. they just are, they tend to be very realistic they tend to understand things that folks from the other traditions don't necessarily come from so then ux is this like blend of all of this stuff going on and I, I think that really to answer your question is when you find out what you want to do if it's researcher i would say don't go back to graduate school probably if you're if you're already working i, I if you're in undergrad then apply to graduate school sure and if mm-hmm. you want to be a researcher, you really want that expertise. But that's going to be hard for people who are already working. Information architecture, that's a tricky one. People, Good information architects, the the UX problem solving, they come from a huge variety of areas. And so that's hard to pin down. But I think you're going to have an advantage if you're educated on certain topics. And then for visual designers, I think boot camps often is decent enough for for getting a visual designer into into the UX role, and then mm-hmm. from after that, they can kind of figure out. But since it's such a, a it's a hodgepodge, it's an archipelago of all of <laughs> these different, these different uh, scholastic traditions, I think a person has to decide what they want to be good at, and then try to find a way to train them. Yeah,
0: and it's going to be contextual to where you are, it sounds like, and, right, the landscape always changes, because 10 years ago, I don't think we were talking about things this way at all, right? You said right. In, in the early 2000s, you said it was human factors. It wasn't even <laughs> usability. So yeah, US. who knows what, what, what the future holds? But uh, that's, that's good general advice, I would say. Hmm. Matthew, any other questions?
1: Uh, I have no questions. I just a uh, comment on the, the education aspect. I think that's more of just like what we know personally. That's how I think about it is like we know the education system. We've gone through it. We sit down, we take notes, we're told what to, what to learn, not really necessarily how to learn or how to go and find what to learn, which I think is what you're talking about, because if I were to take an art history class, I feel like I'm just going to get dates and names and painters. <laughs> I'm not going to get that insight. And I think that the way we are going to move forward and the kids that are coming behind, uh, like behind me, even, it's just like, oh, they've grown up knowing that they can just watch a YouTube video or figure out what they want to learn. Like I changed my um, window wipers and I was struggling with, it and I was like, I don't know how to do this. Watch the three minute video on YouTube. And I know how to change window wipers now.
0: It's like right. the matrix. You just downloaded it to your, exactly. game you, 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 up, you uploaded stuff. right into your, right. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's a good point. Just the way we, we receive, we receive information. And, and that reminds me, so Tom, you're talking about, cause I'm I'm more of a like a a STEM nerd. Like I always like math and and you know once I discovered programming, yeah, I'm 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 proud. I'm proud of it.
1: Um, But my
0: daughter is the total opposite. She's like you know I'm not a technical person. Math Mm. is not my favorite subject, but. Thomas, you just kind of went through a bunch of stuff that I was like, that is not my jam. Like <laughs> you were talking about those different art things, which, right. and I think the assumption is, oh, I'm not technical. I don't have a future and a technical career, but those are all very necessary things that we need to produce applications that people delight in using, to use your words.
2: Well, that, that's that's right. I mean, I mean, as technology evolves, surprising people get hired for the craziest things so for example with uh, we talked about voice design there's improv actors getting hired by technology companies now because they understand that the way people communicate with a voice it's a personality you feel like you're talking to a person and so how is this person going to present themselves to the user how how are they they actually have a little bit of a personality like some of them are a little bit like smart-alecky, right? And, and they, they kind of, they're more playful, whereas some, you don't want to be as playful. Maybe if you're helping people with like bank transactions, you want to come across as a little bit more button up and a little bit more serious and not play versus some things that you're supposed to be. So being able to come up with snippy comments and stuff, you could be an improv. And I'm, I'm not saying that there's this big population of improv actors that could get hired <laughs> in tech technology. This probably has very small, <laughs> of that but that's that's something that's surprisingly needed um, I remember attending a talk a long time ago from the executive who built the Android OS uh, who directed it and he was talking about in the beginning they had to hire so for all of the um, all of the animations that are mm-hmm. just built into the OS they had to hire people from the movie making industry who knew how to animate things. There was no one in technology at the time that they were putting mm-hmm. designing this, who knew how to do that. But people who know how to do there's so much nuance to to animations, right? Like like the way like like the slope of like, if something, is it a linear move or does it like accelerate? And there's a, and a conference of people
0: somewhere discussing it. Like, ah, that angle is a little off. No, or that's anything. right. Or, or that it has too much
2: of a bounce to there's it. Or the drop or, or, shadow. Or a, it's playing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. There's so many nuances that when you're trying to live up to that high bar. No, no, if you're doing like, let's say you're working for a very unambitious, enterprise company that's just puts out like a timesheet software that that you know and, and no one's super ambitious about it its presence in the marketplace well then you can get away with a lot more but the more ambitious you become of like I really want this to be a awesome product the more you have to start thinking about those skill sets and those Which roles. answers
0: the questions why why are timesheet products always the worst
2: right they're all they're always always the really one bad one is the one that the ones where you do expense reporting every place i've worked they're always horrible because there's no incentive to pick it up even for the company they're like well i don't want to make it super easy for everyone to (laughs) (laughs) do like like, that'd be difficult so then that's like this free software that's like dead and it's not updated one of the things a comment on stem though so i think that um i have a Uh, opinion on stem that's a little bit different from most i think that it's not the primary focus for the future so 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 there i think was an age i don't know maybe the, the 70s and 80s and stuff like that where the rise of all this technology and people using it so you have to be super good at math super good at all these things um the more artificial intelligence will be uh taking jobs and machine learning you're going to need people to have a very good understanding of the kind of softer aspects of it that are harder to replicate with artificial mm-hmm. intelligence that's not to say that STEM's not tremendously important because the topic areas the familiarity with the science concepts the math concepts super the engineering concepts really 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 important but it's i think in the future it'll be less about being like a math whiz for example it already mm-hmm. is the case right um, versus being like, like, if you think about someone who worked maybe at NASA in the 1960s, they're probably an absolute math whiz can probably calculate numbers in their head, right? Mm-hmm. But then as, as that, those, those other more basic functions get automated, right? Cause of mm-hmm. the automation, most of it is kind of happens from the ground up. People need to be very familiar for jobs in the future of how those softer skills and that softer intelligence integrates with, the, what machines are good at.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. I never thought about it that way.
2: Yeah. So I think that
0: sometimes
2: STEM is like overemphasized in a certain way. It's not enough to just be like, okay, just get into science and math and you're good.
0: Right. Yeah. That's probably what it was, right? Like, okay, you want to have, you want to, you want to pick a career path. And you want to pick one where your odds are that you're going to have, you know, a successful. in the definition of success is maybe you're financially independent and can, you know, give that, you know, push that onto your your your, right. your children or your family and grow that. Right. Um. So I think yeah, that's probably the origin of STEM. But yeah, there's a million different other ways that can go, and that aren't STEM related is what I'm you're hearing you say. It's like yeah, you know, the arts are going to be necessary and they're going to have yes. a key. And and it kind of goes to what we said already was what do I do? Like I was so clueless in high school, right? I like right. you know I liked Thank art you. and I liked math and I didn't know what to do with either one of those things because because STEM because you know I just think of art as like well am I going to be a painter? You know that's honestly all I thought. But to tell people oh well if you're interested in the arts here's a you know here's a a career path that you could be successful and fulfilling way to spend your life that you're doing meaningful things and helping people you know use applications and making it easier for them to 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 work with with this technology
2: that's right and so like um, things like being a good communicator that's immensely important like can you communicate your ideas through speech through writing in ways that are you know but but we don't yeah like you said we don't know what the jobs of the future are going to be like there was one i was thinking about the other day which is more and more like bots writing news articles or writing blog articles and stuff like that. I wonder if one job of the future might be a person who's a good writer who trains bots. This might even be a job now, I might not Mm -hmm. be aware of it, but you train the robots to write good articles by checking them or teaching them, (laughs) right? So I I don't know, like, but, but I think that is like a job of at least the near future, generally speaking of like training, robots because they want to have more humanistic insights and things. Actually, you already have it. It's machine learning machine right. learning where you're kind of at, you know, it's, uh, the company is saying like, okay, we're going to take this population of users. We're going to try to replicate what they do. So let's, mm-hmm. let's say you're an insurance adjuster who can go to, you can look at a vehicle or you can look at a property and you're really good at summing up. How much is this going to cost? Well, you can use machine learning to take those jobs. You could you could plug in on one side. Here's the answer mm-hmm. of how much it costed. Here
0: mm-hmm. are
2: the inputs of what the person said, and then we can we can replicate that. So there there will be jobs of the future, but it's I think that people need to think about, especially if they're in the early part of their career, fortifying their skill sets to be robust against new AI developments.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So we're missing a host and she likes to cover the culture, but I can't think of a culture question for Sierra.
2: I saw in the last question, this isn't, I don't think this qualifies as really, because I saw in the question, it said like tech or culture. It was, it was like a- So
0: right, you want to do your heat check now? We can we can get into heat check. Matthew, <laughs> cue the sound bite. That, that means we're going into the heat check. I, th- so. I thought we
1: were doing heat check, heat check. <laughs> heat, check <laughs>
0: heat check, heat check. <laughs> 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 it's growing on me. <laughs> so yeah, we yeah. What, what do you have something to share with us? Then. Well, is that
2: what the heat check is? Is it? Yeah, it's it's, it's basically
0: uh, anything technology or te- culture related that you wanted to share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This 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 is something that's been on my mind. It's, and it's not important now, but it
2: might maybe be important in the distant future. You hear um, futurists like uh, Elon Musk, Ray Kurzweil talk about this a little bit. And it's this idea of uploading your mind into a computer, and this
1: and this really well, annoying. like that thing. Black Mirror episode.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's very Black Mirror. I haven't I haven't watched Black Mirror, but I I know that it's the kind of thing that would appear in it's Black like, Mirror. It's like what right? if a
0: computer did this, or what if a robot was this? Like, yeah, those are all, all the episodes. Marios. Yeah, it's all, I yeah. Guess it's kind
2: of like Twilight Zone or um, or uh, Outer Limits. I yeah. guess, like, yeah. like you have these scenarios. I love that um, show. Yeah, and, and so I just don't believe it's possible to upload your mind into a computer, and and maybe, maybe, like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not one to these I, I think, and I think it's like deeply ridiculous. So, 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 follow me on this, right? So, what if
0: we're in a computer simulation right now? What if this is? Yeah,
2: no, more- okay, that's, not, that, that, you know, what that's possible, and then if that's the case, I stand corrected. <laughs> But, I mean, so, so at best, because the way the conversation goes is like, oh, in the future, we'll live forever, and, you know, because you can upload yourself into a, a computer. Well, no, that's not you. At best, it's a clone of you mentally living on a hard drive somewhere. Um, what does even living mean at that point? Is it are you alive when they turn the computer on? but but, 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 but more to the point is that what exactly are you copying? Are you copying? You're not copying the brain exactly. You're, you're. You're. What? What the heck is it? It's at best, I think it's a brain scan that, whatever was on your head or plugged into your head or whatever, was able to capture. And it's just going to be a bunch of data. And then you save the data on a hard drive. And you're telling me that I'm still alive and in the machine. I think. I think it's so ridiculous. But um, th- and and there's yeah. actually, I don't know. What do you have thoughts on that?
0: Well, this is the data question, right? Cause so data from star trek the the person okay. data yeah so so i'm assuming they're 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 talking about downloading your your memories right but i think right it's more than just your memories or your the things that you said or the transcript like loki had the transcript of everything he said in his whole life that you're more than that. This is a very philosophical discussion. Yeah, it, it, it,
2: started- it is. It is kind of. It is kind of philosophical. But but it, but it's the way you would test it. It's like let's say we uploaded your brain into an android. We tested by does that person do and say the things that you would do, right? So would they mm-hmm. answer the questions the same way and all that kind of stuff? I just I just don't see. And there's and it's more than just the data in your head. It's there's a lot that goes into a person. There's there's uh, emotions. There's hormones, like yeah. all over your body. There's all yeah. kinds of things. If you're hungry and you're hangry, that's those yeah. Are your emo- that's a that that data component. Connect. Is
0: how does your emotions yeah. reflect your personality? And how do you capture that?
2: How do you capture that? And your memories change too. You, you we don't have <laughs> memories in the same way that computers do. It's like a interpretation on events that happen. Your memories are not accurate, mm-hmm. and and they change over time and they they just serve the function of helping an organism's memory just serves the function of helping using data from the past to help the person survive it's not like memory that a computer you need it to stay Where it's, yeah it's, it's, it's
0: verbatim thing. right Unless, yeah yeah, so,
2: yeah. So, so i really don't see it and, that, and that, that that one kind of annoys me but there's this really good horror video game it's called soma and it's based upon this concept um mm-hmm. if you get a chance to if if you like Dystopian. (laughs) It's 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 this. I won't give away the game, but it's it's this dystopian future, and it revolves around this idea that humans aren't around anymore in the way that we're around today. Most of them are on machines, and they're not even aware. But 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 it's it's basically it's a horror game where you're trying to figure something out, and you're trying to accomplish something in the game, and the game Uh... forces you to develop your own philosophy of what is sentience what is like what does it mean to be alive what and you're you're forced to make these really difficult ethical decisions
0: uh-huh. throughout the
2: game and it forces you to say like well wait, wait a second is this okay is this um, you know? <laughs> So anyway that's uh
0: that's a very good concept that's yeah, really interesting if
2: this branch i would say soma s-o-m-a it's like mm-hmm. the deepest game ever. Like, I've, I've never seen something as-
0: <laughs> And it's kind of like, man, I don't want to think about all this stuff. This is heavy, Yeah, On a Wednesday. <laughs> I, I would, I would say,
2: yes, I would definitely say if you have something important coming up where you need to be, like, kind of pulled together, don't <laughs> play the game around then. Play it over a break because you might find yourself laying on the couch looking up at the ceiling saying, why do I Why a ball- <laughs> <laughs> oh, comic?
0: <laughs> those, yeah those are the best like why is the universe why right. <laughs>
1: why? why are we doing this i'm Man. a big fan of watching really bad movies like those like those <laughs> movies that you have people over and you don't actually watch it you just make fun of it mm-hmm. keanu reeves made uh, or he was in a movie called replicas and it's basically the same
0: oh i haven't oh. seen that yet oh
1: yeah there's a reason you haven't seen it it, oh, it's, it's, bad? It, it's bad. It's really
0: bad. <laughs> but it's
1: great. Good. The concept is good, but the but the movie is bad. Yes. Uh, you know within like 10 minutes that it's bad. Uh, it. Okay. <laughs> so
0: I'll it's to fun find to it. laugh at.
1: I'll
0: have to find it. Man, that was a that was a really good uh heat check. Mine's boring. Uh so I'll go next and I'll let Matthew Matthew close it close us out. So mine was um I think I was listening to a podcast and of course, now I can't remember. Why don't I write things down? Um, someone wrote a book about Amazon and like mm-hmm. leadership skills they learned from Amazon. So I was like, let me go look this book up. And then I discovered people have written books about how to interview at Amazon. And I'm like, wow, Amazon has gone places. Cause then I also watched Coded Bias yesterday where they were like, Amazon, had this ai for recruiting and things went horribly wrong so it's
1: like things
0: have gone 180 degrees but i'm not going to focus on coded bias because i think that's the whole other thing um that we can talk about later but just the fact that there's a book that's like how how to get a job at amazon and but and when i think about you know and when I think about how to prepare and we, we we had a long conversation today about you know, steps to get to a certain career once you've des- decided what to do. And, you know, if you want to be a doctor, you're going to take the MCAT. If you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to take the LSAT. If you're going to grad school, you take the GRE. And there's tons of books and programs and stuff that help you study for those things and, and take it out. So maybe this is the beginning of the technology career. I don't know if these books are really specific to Amazon, if th- they could be generalized to... You know, the industry. But I do know that when I interview people, I Google top interview questions to ask people. And there's stuff on Google, you know, being that person we talked about going to YouTube to learn things. But that gives me the idea of the type of things I want. And it is it is kind of refreshing for me to see that maybe, maybe it's going to evolve to kind of a bigger thing to help support people. And for people that are like, I don't know if I could do this. There's tons, people have literally written a book on how, if you want to work at Amazon, there's a book, read it. I don't know if it's good or not. I have not read it to get there. And maybe, maybe we need to build some more content like that in general to be like how to get a software engineering career for dummies.
2: That's, that's such a relevant topic. Actually, I'm just now learning about this concept. I forget what the acronym is, but it's basically SEO for resumes. And, and and so and so uh, I, I train a lot of young professionals, right? And so one person I know who's currently, like, looking for a job uh, had to go through this whole thing of, like, trying to optimize her resume so that it can get noticed. Like, like especially if you're hi- trying to get hired at a big, uh, huge organization that, you know, they get stacks of giant, like, thousands of resumes like they need some way of sifting through it there's surfaces now where you pay as as the person looking for a job you pay to help them optimize your resume and use the right keywords to make sure that it'll rise to the top of the i'm like man that's crazy that's very different from what we had
0: but they i mean to get into med school i, yeah, I don't want to say it's like a cult but there's just so it's so particular yeah. about the way you dress, the way, you know, yes. you, there's, there's headshots involved. There's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's like, there's a lot of process that some of it's just process because, because, oh, well the people before us had to go through all these hurdles and this doesn't make sense, but we're going to keep doing it. Cause that's the history.
2: Yeah. Whole industry is built around it. Like yeah. Princeton review is built around. Yeah. Guy, so
0: yeah. yeah. So having, if it's a reasonable price, I mean, you get a realtor to help you sell sure. your house. If it's, if it's a reasonable price to help you get a job, maybe it's an option. I don't know. But
2: then everyone starts doing it and then you have to do it.
0: Yeah. that's bad.
2: <laughs> Cause you'll be the only one not doing it. You're right. Your that's job. bad. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I disagree with that. <laughs> My only hope is that, like we said, the, the landscape changes so often that maybe these people, can't really get a hold because you know who knows in ten years will Amazon be the juggernaut or will it be somebody else? Could be somebody. else. I
2: think I applied for. I think I found pros like literally on Monster.
0: I so did I. <laughs> <laughs> that dates a person, but yeah, Monster.com. Yeah, it, oh yeah, oh,
1: it dates the hell out of you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've never heard of that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that was the place. That, you, that was before. I don't think LinkedIn existed at that point. Oh no,
2: it definitely didn't exist. Yeah.
0: Um. Until indeed, like the definitely happened. not. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you went to Monster.com.
2: It's just a website where you see so you like, like you search for jobs and then on the hiring end, I, I guess probably similar to Upwork is nowadays. So like think, if you think of like Upwork. But a primitive version of that.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't even know what Upwork is. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> heard that.
2: It's because you're happily employed. That's why. <laughs> yeah.
1: Something that I think will is going to be like the trend, if it's not already, especially for like technical roles, is moving away from resumes and more into like portfolios. Mm. And not just like, because I know there are like, I was, when I was like applying for jobs, I was like looking up things and like, a lot of the resumes all go through that filter, the ATS, I think it's called. And like some people would, um, I don't think it works nowadays, but they would take all those keywords that you mentioned and put them all in white and like transparent and just throw them on their resume. Mm-hmm. And so it'd get picked up by the ATS. And so like, if that's your system and you're like really on just keywords, you're not going to get the best people. You're just going to get people that know the system. And so like having a portfolio. And I just, I tell, I'm always like advocating for anyone to make one, even if you're just like a writing role, I was going to say, just because it's like, it's there to show your work. And like that showcase I think is more powerful than I know this, I did this in this role
0: for, yeah. For a software engineer at a company though, it's not like you, you have something that you could say, I did this by myself. It's so collaborative and it, it and sometimes like if you're working on some of the products i work on it's i joined the company in 2005 but this the code is you know written in 1998 so what, what do you say is my you know and then someone's got to review that in an interview process well th- that's where you actually... go and you
1: make your own project it can be anything just to like show yeah those, those that's, it doesn't have th- to be that's super true complex. and
0: and and that is my biggest pet peeve. So if I ever if interview, if you have something on on your resume, and I, and I guess if you hide it, I can't help that. But if it's visible on there, and I ask you about it, and you can't give me like I I I know everything on your 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 resume. You're not going to have like a quick snappy answer for. But if you can't give me an intelligent answer about a concept you put on there, or or you just say, oh, it was kind of, you know. Adjacent to what I was doing. then and it's like, well, you didn't really work on this. So mm-hmm. make sure when you we prepare for your interview, make sure your resume matches your actual experience. But yeah, it's a struggle out there. I, I actually want to do some research on this because I'm, I want to see how we can make some improvements. Um, so if anyone has any recommendations, send them my way, any research that they, <laughs> they've done, send them my way. Cause I do want to learn a little more about this.
2: Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with portfolios. Matthew, is, is your training, Is did you have an art background? Ooh. I have an education background. Education in, background. Uh, biology. Okay. Yeah, like the, the portfolio, okay, so that's so kind of like a general science generalist, and then you segued into being a UX. Matthew
0: right, is an yes.
2: instructional, instructional, instructional designer. designer. It's all oh, instruction. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it.
0: So what's your love hate relationship with portfolios? Well, so
2: portfolios and <laughs> so in the UX world portfolios the need for them came out of the art uh, schools the, the the art candidates because it makes a ton of sense a ton of sense for a visual designer a ton Right. Show me actual examples of stuff so I can see it. What are you going to if you're good at making logos, what are you going to do? You're going to describe the logo to me. I got to see it. Right. But then and then a long time ago to get a usability job, human factors job, you had a CV, right, a curriculum vita. So which is basically a, a, a resume plus some academic stuff. But then at around the 2010s, there began this there became this need more and more to have a portfolio. And a lot of people like myself didn't know what the hell to put in a portfolio like i was like well i've now worked in enterprise software but i can't share any of it so you can you have like a screen and then block. So there's there's ways to do it and i think portfolios are good but um it, it was this it, it's this it was kind of a growing pain into it and then there's some professions where portfolios like like matthew what what's your opinion on like so if you're a researcher Let's say you're a purely a usability researcher what do you show in your portfolio okay because it's not amazingly clear to me
1: your writing ability your ability, to commu- ability. that shows your communication i your see thought process it's that's it's, it gives you more than just like oh this accomplishment or your job like your job description it's like i can see actual work and i can see how that that your process and that even that's if it's pretty just good. yeah
2: no, no. I, I was just gonna say. So you're so for people where writing is important, like have like a segment, a sample, like a writing sample. Like here's yeah,
1: the nice the Matthew. He had a our, our one of our podcast uh, guests. He had he had a a really robust resume, and some of the things were just like very simple, just like concepts, conceptual mm-hmm. things with some like writing. Like this is my process, blah 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 blah. And I think that is applicable to any career that's like not just like an entry level part time job, like working at Target, like you said earlier, you're not going to need a portfolio for that. But if you're going to anything that's technical or just writing, you can do a a blog post to even share about you, you're going to get a lot more information about who you are as a person in a portfolio than you will on a resume. You know, I think we should make a product
2: where it's a portfolio builder, you get interviewed by a bot. <laughs> and it says you read the questions and, it, and, and and then it goes, and you plug it and give it access to your hard drive, your Google Drive, your Dropbox, and it finds the relevant stuff. You know, say like, well, you know, oh, like back in 2015 in yeah. the summer, I did this really cool project, and it's like, okay, here's stuff from that time period. Was it one of the yes? we even a long.
0: LinkedIn plug-in so that my LinkedIn page stays up to date. It just Ooh. knows what to what to pull out of my life and put in there.
2: That's gonna so be a thing, and like in 10 years definitely
1: five years maybe
0: (laughs) you heard it here first guys (laughs) (laughs) so matthew what's your what's your heat check
1: oh okay so we talk about a lot of uh cryptocurrencies and nfts i figured i'll just keep the week going i'm not sure what you guys did last (laughs) but um amc and sony are doing a nft promotion for spider-man no way home so amc is offering 86,000 non non-fungible tokens To AMC members and stockholders, let's just keep the AMC stock meme going. So whoever ordered Vance tickets for the opening of Spider-Man, they're going to get one of those uh, NFTs if you're one of those 86000 And apparently there was a rush to buy all these tickets and it crashed the site. And I guess this is kind of something that's been happening kind of all over the place where they'll have like bots kind of buying up everything and then selling it. And so tickets on like a secondary site or whatever are going for two hundred to up to twenty five thousand um, dollars. <sighs> but apparently only like the lowest price tickets have any interest. Um, yeah.
0: So. Wow. NFTs
1: NFTs that's a crazy new world.
0: So is it an NFT of like a an image from the movie or I think it'll
1: be like some art image. That I, okay. I haven't like, seen any
0: like the con- concept art maybe or
1: yeah potentially. Just something to go along with the movies, which Uh, As I like get more and more of it, like these things just seem kind of like I I see the functionality of crypto and NFTs, but just it only almost reminds me of the like 2003 craze, like the Beanie Babies. Yes,
0: that is a good. I've got all these Beanie Babies. I spent thousands
1: of dollars, and they're
0: now. What are you doing with What is happening with those Beanie Babies? I think I checked. I checked lately. I think I was like ten dollars, twenty dollars, or something like that. Where people were like, "Oh no, they're gonna be worth thousands of dollars." So, wow. Hmm. You know, I love my nerd stuff too, and I feel left out here. Spider Man is like just okay. I don't understand why Spider Man is the favorite, everyone's favorite. I like him, but why is he like everyone loves Spider Man? I don't get it.
1: I think it's because he, his world is more relatable. That everybody else's like he's a, a kid and maybe not everyone knows him, but he's like a kid and his villains aren't like anything crazy you know they're not like superman's villains
0: maybe because i didn't grow up with comic books but like this greek goblin that's, that's a pre- like a pretty compared to lex luther greek goblin looks crazy he's a crazy guy who else doc Ock. okay I don't know. Yeah,
2: that, that, that's true. He, he Spider Man is a lot more normal. It, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not uh, so much a comic book person.
0: He's um, no, he's cute and he's funny. He's got quips and he makes me laugh. But I, I just people love him and like. I think this movie, like the fact that they're doing this with movie shows, that they're like, this is like easy money. We're just gonna, you know, we're gonna we're gonna say we have NFTs. It's the it's the hot new thing, and it's coupled with Spider Man. This is gonna be, and I, and I'm just like I, I, I don't, I, I don't get it. I like him.
2: So you're not gonna get your kids age. Oh, well, I'm going a to Spider-Man, them. a Spider-Man NFT for Christmas.
0: No, but as soon as you said that, and you were like, the tickets went on sale November 29th. I had to like resist picking up my phone and being like, I didn't pre-order my tickets for this movie. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: Mistakes.
0: <laughs> so I was like, literally, I was like, oh no, this is. This is not the right time to do that. So, yeah, I don't know. Oh, we'll see. Can you hear my cat meowing?
2: Yeah, I, I, we, can, we can totally hear your cat. It sounds hungry.
0: <laughs> she never comes down here, ever. And, of course, this is the time. She's not hungry, by the way. She, she She's never hungry. She likes to say she's hungry. She's not Okay. This has been a long one. We're we're in an hour and a half. This
2: is good. This, is, this, this has been a good one. Fun. Yeah. Really fun.
0: Tom, we need to catch up more often.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, thank you so <laughs> I can't help the finger guns this one. <laughs> 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 that's how you know I'm about to we wrap up, up. That's, that's how I know. Guns. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you so much uh, for coming. Um, Thank thank you to our listeners. This is a great conversation. If you want to go have your own conversation, go out and ask someone.